Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Okay. We are live. So we are back again. I hope you are not sick of seeing me here on LinkedIn Live or on Facebook Live. As I know, uh, many of you have been watching. As we've been discussing the uh, coronavirus as it has entered the United States and has wreaked havoc on one particular skilled nursing facility in Kirkland, Washington, where there already have been four deaths Four of the six, at least as of this morning, have been attribu- have occurred in that facility. And as a nursing home administrator, and Andy and Megan can relate to this as well, I really, f- besides, first of all, feel for the families of the residents, the people who lost their loved ones. It's a serious thing. This is, this is real. This is something that actually happens. This is not just news for them. This is personal. But uh, in addition to that, there are the healthcare, without minimizing that at all, um, but there are the healthcare providers that are now thrown in, into you know national media attention um, because this outbreak some, somehow ended up in their facility and now they're quarantined. And they have, besides for dealing with all the challenges of any time there's an infection that's spreading within any clustered population, they have this additional issue of dealing with the media. And they cannot say, oh, we're not talking. They, they're just going to be all over the place because this is their job. To Their job, frankly, is to inform everyone else of what's going on, but that just compounds the problem. So being that we are the Nursing Home Podcast and a lot of our listeners and viewers are operators of nursing homes, vendors to nursing homes, provide other services uh, to nursing homes or, or residents. It can be line staff. Uh, who are involved in this and are in the hundreds of facilities throughout the country facing the very same challenges as as that facility life care center in kirkland so i yeah this is why you, you're not going to hear me shut up so fast because i think it's really important to share real real and what's factual to know what is really going on, and in addition to that, to bring on other professionals who have, who have, uh, you know, who have industry knowledge and the know-how of helping us decipher and differentiate, rather, between fact and fiction. Sorry, I'm fading in and out, but I'm back. Um, between fact and you know, and what's just hysteria, and and also to focus our attention on actionable items as opposed to the hysteria and panic which people have. We were just discussing before we went live that, you know, uh, Brian Brian Wallace is my business mentor who just showed me a few minutes before we went live, before we connected, how if you look on Amazon right now, and this is not a plug for whoever's selling Purell on Amazon, but I just saw, you know, a 12-pack of Purells going for $495. You have like an eight ounce Purell bottle for like $49. Now, it doesn't mean you can't buy it anywhere else. And it doesn't, but that means that there certainly are people who are paying that price. 
or else it was the first page. You, if you go into Amazon, put in Purell, what you'll see. So there's a sense of, I don't know, gloom and doom, which is not necessarily beneficial. So getting straight to business here. So from Boston, Massachusetts, we are connecting through the wires of the World Wide Web to Phoenix, Arizona, where we have Andy Ravenscroft of... Andy, help me out here for a minute. So one second, even before you tell me your company, you know, uh, Andy is, is a nursing home administrator, understands this, acutely understands this challenge, and works for an, a company that provides infection control, oversight, management, and assistance to their nursing home partners. Now, just to be honest here and to full disclosure, this conversation was planned uh, way before uh, you know the coronavirus existed probably at all <laughs> and yes, certainly, it was. <laughs> certainly not in the united states so first of all andy welcome to the nursing home podcast welcome to this live stream and tell us just the name of your company and just so we know who we're talking to thank you well we're excited to be on what divine timing right exactly. um, so <laughs> our company is not and we specialize in providing specialists to uh, community partners. Um, and today we're going to be talking about infectious disease specifically. And I have Megan here joining me. She's a board certified infection prevention provider. She's been very, very busy. We need to send her some coffee um, <laughs> <laughs> with, with the coronavirus. Um, so just now don't send her coffee with the coronavirus. Yeah, not with the coronavirus. No, please don't. <laughs> Um, but okay. really, you know, this is this is timely and making sure that we have um, action steps in place to to prevent transmissions and then also um, making sure that you have a system set up in place prior to these things happening. And that's really where Megan is able to come in and, and do the boots on the ground along with the IP nurse, director of nursing, work with the medical director and make sure that it's a, a streamlined process. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you both for coming on. And Megan, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast and to this live stream as well. Uh, even before we jump into practical steps, as it says, kind of prevention and management, but just how much of what we're hearing in the news is factual? And let's try to find out like what actually is going on and perhaps what is added to what's going on. So that for specifically for the nursing home providers, so they know what really to expect in the coming days and weeks. Either one of you. Yeah, there's quite a vast array of media coverage, of course, on coronavirus. You can't turn on the TV without seeing something about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's only obviously added to the mass hysteria that we're seeing out in the community setting. So really making sure to separate that fact from fiction and fear. Um, you know, referring back to your local health departments, guidelines, and of course, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC has been putting out ample amount of information, um, whether you are in a healthcare setting or in a community setting, to help determine what your needs are and where you need to be focusing your efforts on. Okay. Um, yeah. And just starting with that solid infection control program within your facility for those healthcare um, organizations, the long-term care facilities, making sure that you have those solid infection control practices. This is really the time to make sure you're going in and doing a deep dive into your processes. Okay. 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 I'm hearing my echo now. Um, okay, now it's better. So, so I mean, obviously that's, that's super important now as it has always been. Is there any particular misinformation 
that it, that we that we know. But over besides for the general uh, doom and gloom, which makes news and sells, used to say newspapers, but now we call them eyeballs. Um, is there any particular thing or misconception that the typical consumer of thinks and is really not true? Is there any particular thing that we can debunk right now? I don't know why they like doing that. Yeah, I, I think the masks for sure. So, you know, when was when coronavirus first started really making the news over in Asia, we saw an abundance of people out there wearing masks, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look back even a year ago, a few years ago, that is something more ingrained in their culture that they could be wearing masks because of smog or pollution, uh, different reasons. So really the general public, if you're healthy and you're not Sick. There is no need to be out there wearing masks at this point. CDC is not advising that. Um, and the problem that happens then is as consumers are buying up masks, now we have a shortage for those healthcare providers that really have more of a close contact with the patient who could be exhibiting symptoms and need those masks. So I think first and foremost, that's probably kind of the misnomer out there that everyone needs to go out and stockpile masks. I mean, that's amazing because before, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just here in the Boston area, I'm walking in the street and I see particularly uh, Asians. Some of them are walking around with masks. And I, I asked, um, I have a colleague who's a director of infectious disease in Brigham and Women Hospital. And I asked him, like, what's up with that? Like, is that just be, is that solidarity? Uh, and I'm, I respect that if, if, the, if there's a reason for it. And if they're wearing masks and laughing their way to the bank and we're idiots for not wearing it, then I better go get one. So he explained to me that this is something I was not aware of, that, is, that there is some sort of, he said it's a cultural thing. Again, he, he was, you know, between meetings and I didn't get that much time, but it's a cultural thing where it's more normal for them to walk in the street with masks. And I didn't realize to what you just shared, Megan, that they, you know, because of other conditions, which might not be infection related at all, just right. the quality of the air in certain areas, so it might be more common. And your other point, if we're all buying up, if Purell is going on Amazon for five hundred dollars for for a twelve pack, um, you know, so then what happens in the you know in the hospitals, the nursing homes, and other healthcare settings where we have vulnerable the vulnerable population is there, and we see that when it, you know when it comes in like it did, unfortunately, in that facility, you know, it can grow and and it can it can go to other people where it's so needed. And besides driving up the price, it drives up the availability. We actually were trying to get um, someone who, you know, on the business end, someone who sells these products, you know, on the show as well, to hear what it's like uh, from their end. Um, So, but let's turn our attention to practical tips for nursing home operators. Um, Other, uh, I mean, obviously there's the general infections uh, control process that they should be following. And then maybe afterwards we, we could turn our attention to the general population because, you know, everyone feels somewhat at risk. You know, money can't buy you health, right? So it doesn't matter how successful some of us might feel in certain areas, but at the end of the day, everyone feels a certain vulnerability. This is something that there's no vaccine yet, you know, to it. It could be months away until we find one. And we spoke earlier. Uh, this morning that, you know, there is a lab in Tel Aviv, they're working on one and they're trying to get it as fast as they can. But even that is still a while away until that's fit for mass consumption. So people feel like there's this thing going around. People are dying from it. We don't really have anything to do. So let's start 
from a nursing home perspective, is anything different that a nursing home operator, uh, directive nurses should implement now more than before, other than the typical infection control uh, policy and procedures? Either one of you. Yeah. So again, referring back to the CDC's guidelines, you know, even though we've seen that trend for probably the last couple of months in China and Asia, but now we're starting to see some changes here in the United States where mm-hmm. you really need to take um, an active part in reviewing the guidance that's coming out. It could be changing daily. It could be changing weekly. Um, even the criteria for testing might be changing um, as we go along, too. So we've seen it change several times since we first started seeing cases within the United States. So that would be first and foremost, use the right resources. Refer back to the Centers for Disease Control for those guidelines specifically related to coronavirus and because again, it does continue to change. Well, um, then- uh, if you don't mind, I'll just jump in there for a reason. As a nursing home administrator, we get these bulletins all the time, mm-hmm. and maybe Andy mm-hmm. can relate to this. And sometimes we—it's almost like spam that we don't—we we know it's important, and we know we'll pass it on to clinical, we'll give it to the director of nurses, and you deal with this. But usually, it's not anything uh, drastic, and if it is, we'll hear about it from other sources. Okay, maybe I'm alone on this, but at least- you're right. <laughs> At least this is, you know, especially when they came out so frequently and a lot of times it looks like a whole, you know, uh, like a whole doctrine almost. Hear ye, hear ye, this is what's going on. And, um, you know, it's usually nothing major. So so that is a very practical step is that these things are coming out now and you can go to the CDC website, go to the World Health Organization uh, and you could see the statements uh these are things to be taken literally but go ahead megan sorry for jumping in yeah so in in conjunction with the cdc your local health department so wherever you might reside whatever state or county you're in your local health department should have the same amount of information too to provide you um and every state might have a little variation depending on what's going on as we go along but again Mm -hmm. referring back to those two valuable resources And then just in within your facility, again, reviewing your infection control policies, make sure that you are actively working to identify patients that could potentially um, be exposing others with some sort of respiratory illness or any illness in general, and that you do have policies and plans in place to implement those standard and transmission-based precautions. Mm-hmm. Hand hygiene, as you mentioned, Purell, I mean, I could not stress enough how important hand hygiene and having a well-integrated program in your facility is. Um, you know, not just talking about a novel organism like coronavirus, but just your everyday germs that we encounter, you know, and helping prevent the spread of those in a long-term care facility that's a very communal setting, right? So it's very active and social. So mm-hmm. having that active infection control and hand hygiene program is, is um, yeah, I couldn't stress the importance enough. Critical. I'll actually yeah. just tell you a quick, uh, and we'll get to you in a second, uh, but just to uh, hold the thought, a funny story is that my facility educator during one of the orientations, I, I, it was my bad fortune to walk by the group as they were talking about hand washing. And they actually had, I don't know, you probably know what this is, but something that you put on your, uh, no, actually what, she, what they did is they sent me into the bathroom and said, go wash your hands. We're going to check and see what it looks like <laughs> And afterwards. So I went in and 
did a million times, both sides, soap, uh, hot, cold, on my head, everywhere. And I came out and I really thought that this time my hands were perfectly clean. And they shine a light. I don't know what the, what it yeah, is exactly. They shine a light. light. <laughs> All right. So they shine a light at my hands. They're like, no, look at the nails. Look at this. Look at that. And I was like in front of everybody. Very embarrassing. And But the point is that we might think, because we spent, you know, two extra minutes, minutes, seconds, you know, washing our hands, that that's sufficient. And we might be checking off the checkbox that we're doing hand hygiene, but there's doing hand hygiene and doing hand hygiene. And again, at, then maybe it was humorous. Um, not really, because it's serious then too. But now um, it's it's even more serious and that we should be taking this, you know, very seriously and doing it, you know, in the right way. And Andy, you yeah. looked like you had a point that you were going to share before I rudely well, interrupted you. No, this is all good stuff. And I think, um, you know, additionally, I remember, you know, when you're when you're in the administrator chair and you're trying to fill, you know, whether it's shifts or people are calling out sick, is really making sure to encourage your staff to stay home. That's so important. Um, I can remember many times, right, where I'm going in, kind of like, okay, I won't, I won't talk to many people. I'll stay into my office. Um, but that's really not <laughs> doing any well. Um, you know, for inside the facility, make sure that we're not transmission. So I think that's my just my little PSA for all operators out there. Just encourage your staff to stay home. You'll figure out how to get those shifts covered. Whatever you've got to do, a little extra money, well worth it. Yeah, I mean, but that that's a pain point right there because on a regular Happy Tuesday, it's difficult to fill the shifts as it is. And the nursing shortage is a whole separate conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, with all the challenges that are involved and, uh, you know, a lot of people are already using agency and they're already using overtime and they're already giving bonuses. And if, because they gave a bonus one time, they're stuck giving bonuses forever mm-hmm. and they're already in a vicious cycle. So now, you know, tell your best nurse, you know, that picks up five extra shifts a week because she has flu like symptoms to stay home. It could be difficult. But again, this is going to be a facility decision. But right. it should be t- it should be taken seriously. You know yeah. the the good you know nurses make the worst patients, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, so the nurse that comes in when they have fever because they took you know Tylenol and they're going to try to not cough directly on the patients and somehow get through the day and and they do manage sometimes. Now's not the time for that type of yeah. martyrdom, if I said that correctly. But the point is, if they're really sick, uh, they really should be staying at home. Let Let's move from here for a moment. Um, to the general population. So, you know, two major distinctions between the nursing home population and everybody else is obviously that they're, A, they're not living together. Now, there are other populations where where they are indeed living together, but that's one distinction. The other distinction is that in the nursing home space and hospitals, other healthcare settings, we're talking about a very vulnerable population. We're talking about people who uh, who have other issues thing. Uh, that's being added on top of whatever they already have. So a regular person living by themselves or living with their family at home, to what extent do they need to do, do they need to do anything differently? And what should they be doing differently, if anything? Yeah, so that's a great question because I really feel that whether you're in a healthcare setting or not, we all play a part in infection control, right? So you might go to a school, uh, you could be in college or you work at a school. So you want to make sure that, again, the hand hygiene, first and foremost, is the most important thing that you can do. Respiratory etiquette. So try not to cough and sneeze all over everyone. Use a tissue, discard it in the trash, wash your hands or do the Purell um, or any other alcohol-based hand rub. 
Um, and then staying home if you're ill, of course, that I could not stress that enough. If you're sick with fever, respiratory symptoms, diarrheal illness, you know, you really probably shouldn't be out and about. Um, mm -hmm. so staying home and then, of course, seeking medical advice as needed, um, depending on your symptoms and whatnot. Um, and then surface disinfection. So I think it's just important in our day to day. We're so tech savvy, right? You have your cell right. phones, your tablets, laptops, computers. Uh, frequent disinfection is very important. So you may have just gone to the bathroom and touched, you know, several things on your way back to your office. Then you touched your laptop and now you're going to eat a sandwich. Well, maybe you should wipe down the laptop as you're eating and do some hand hygiene first. So some things that we don't maybe commonly think of because um, we're just in our grind and day to day. So I think those are very essential tips to take home with you if you're you know, out in the community, whether you're working healthcare or not, it's important. Wow. Wow. No, that, that is definitely true. And especially the you know the average person doesn't have an infection control policy and procedure for their home, <laughs> for, right? And for the car, they don't get audited on it. There's no regulatory compliance, so so that can be a challenge. So now this happens. So we should actually put soap in the bathroom. You know, let's start from the beginning. You know, it's, it's some of the some of the basics, and exactly. you know. I, you know, I thank God have a large family myself, and I know that if one kid has strep throat, chances are it's going to spread. And mm -hmm. as much as we try not to, but it's just the way it's just the way it is. And yeah, maybe siblings might be a little bit more closer together and more physical interactions than you know uh, people residents of a nursing home and other settings. So perhaps it's more likely to happen that way. But but either way, you know. If it's a strep throat or even a flu and all these types of things which are relatively normal you know and seasonal that's one thing but if we're talking about the coronavirus and that's something that you know we certainly have to be uh that much more careful about it well what other things are you seeing now like what are the struggles that other you know nursing home operators have i know that you guys are involved in oversight of of skilled nursing facilities specifically helping them with their implementing right this is exactly what you guys do as a professionally right I, I know we didn't really have enough time to connect beforehand but uh, from what i understand this is exactly what your company does so what are the specific struggles that if you don't mind sharing that you're having and even if you don't want to share specifically what you're having but what other facilities might be struggling with or breakthroughs you know hey we didn't have masks but we used whatever um so is, is there anything like that that maybe you can share with our listeners? I know we, we've, we've got a couple, definitely. Um, I, you know, I think there's always a misconception out there of uh, what type of protocols we should be using for when and where. And I think that that would be really huge for operators to make sure that they have um, the team in place to know and educate their nurses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, isolation, right? What does that cause? That causes a survey rabbit hole. Um, why was the person on isolation and just the mundane questions, right? And so are we using them um, effectively and making sure that um, they're appropriate? So like, the, sorry. There you go. Okay. Um, you know, droplet precautions. And just, I think that that's been really important. And then additionally is really supporting those infection prevention. You know, commonly these individuals, right, they came from the floor um, or they came, you know, they have, they're the ADON. And then they went through a course, right? And they learned a lot of different information to be successful within their um, role as IP, infection prevention. 
but then it kind of stopped there, right? Maybe they have, you know, keep up their CEs, you know, every two years, but this is a lifelong learning and ever changing, evolving uh, program, right? And so I think that that really speaks to coronavirus right now. So what we what we all learned two years ago, last year, a month ago, is a little bit different than it is today. And so I think um, making sure that they have that support, because I've, you know, I just was out today talking to a couple, um, you know, facilities and talking with our partners, and you can see the stress on their face, the infection prevention, mm -hmm. and they're, you know, meandering the, the web, and then we're getting Megan involved. Um, and so just, just taking that pressure off, right? Because when, when it's, it is stressful, um, the job is stressful no matter what, but this is a little bit extra time where they could be, I would say TLC, a little tender loving care um, to make sure that they have the support and they feel good within those positions to lead their, their teams and then help, you know, prevent the infections. So that's uh, I mean, uh, that's an important point to anyone who's interacting now with a skilled nursing facility, any healthcare setting, Bear in mind that they're under an immense pressure, which is coupled by the national attention specifically on how nursing homes are dealing with this. So it's really true. Nursing homes 24-7, 365 days a year, this is something which is front and center. And we have an infection control nurse whose job is to oversee and implement and manage this program. But now we have people, four people. One, imagine if you were an infection control nurse. I, I feel very bad for the infection control nurse in that facility. Now, for the rest of her life or his life, it may be saying that, you know, if, if only I did this, if only I did that. And truth is, probably even if they did everything correctly, you know, it's not it's not a foolproof system. It's prevention. It doesn't, doesn't mean that it cannot happen. It just means that let's take the necessary steps that we can to try and avoid this you know, from from happening, or even if it does, God forbid, happen, we want to prevent it, minimize it, you know, and manage it to the best way possible. But that I'm sure that's not comfortable. So any other infection control, and just let's let's be real, um, there are infection control nurses that really are not infection control nurses. You have a DON who's also a ADON who's also a, you know staff development coordinator, and then the the surveyor said, oh, who's your infection control nurse? The administrator says she is. <laughs> She's like, right. She's like, can I see your infection control program? Uh, right. Let me get that binder and you know, whatever. We don't have to play out the entire scene of emailing documents and stuffing them into binders. And again, yeah. that's, that's not always the case. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit to make a point. But it's in nursing homes manage every day with such limited resources, human yeah. resources, financial resources. You know, uh, dated equipment. I always said that nursing homes are, I'm not the only one who says this, but they're like this treasure, you know, within the healthcare system where they provide such a high level of care with, so, with such scarce resources. And it's really true. And, you know, if you go from a hospital setting, you know, so if, you, if you like work in a hospital setting or even if you visit a hospital and then you go to, you know, to a nursing home, I, I'll give you an example. Um, it's a personal story, but when my son was born uh, uh, two years ago, um, he was in the NICU for a couple of weeks. Also a respiratory issue. Actually, my mother-in-law was holding him and he like turned blue. And I thought that he was allergic to her, which I am as well. But, <laughs> I'm joking. I love her. But, um, but they, they, they were concerned that the, something might not have been fully developed. Anyways, he was in the NICU for maybe 10 days or two weeks, and he's fine. And, you know, he's a 
Very active two-year-old today. But the point is, while he was in the NICU, I got to spend time in the NICU. I'm looking at this massive room. This is a children's hospital in Boston. It's gorgeous. Massive, massive room. I mean, I like the view. And it's just one tiny crib. There's one nurse um, that is... There's one nurse for two babies, and she can see both babies at all times. And these babies, 90% of the time, are sleeping. Right? These are newborns. Right? It's the NICU. And just watching the monitors. Now, again, it's serious. You know, it's, it's, it, it's a very large responsibility. But they have all the highest, coolest medical equipment imaginable. You could eat off the floor even when the coronavirus is flying all over the place because it's so clean there. <laughs> I mean, we came in there, we brought our Chinese food, and we, we thought we were allowed to do it. And they politely explained to us that we can never do that again because there's a place outside for that. You know, it's, it's not the right environment. But my point is that for me, you know, I spent my whole day in an, the nursing home that I was managing then. And then I came at night, spent some time with my son in the hospital. It's like the contrast could not have been more dramatic and more drastic where had a nursing home needed to provide the same level of care, they would have provided a, a similar, a comparable level of care for a fraction of the cost. Now, I'm not saying that you should put uh, close down NICUs and send the babies to nursing homes. That's not the point. But the point is that that we're used to, um, like I said, with scarce, scarce resources. So with human resources here for, for a typical nursing home, Yes, we would love to say that we're constantly drilling our infection control and that we're every nurse is certified. And 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 don't get me wrong, plenty, you know this. Uh, there are plenty of nursing homes that do very, very well for nursing homes to do, and they are doing it. But it's not, you know, when you read the text and you say, okay, we have even a simple thing like isolation. Okay, this resident has to be by themselves. Okay, we have no empty beds. Right. And we don't have a place to put this resident. Where's this resident going? Where's the roommate going? The roommate also needs isolation because the roommate was subjected, you know, was in the same room in close proximity to someone who we think might have coronavirus. So now don't forget, we can't test for it or it's very difficult or it might take us six weeks, six days until we get it back if we have access to testing kits. So now what do we do? So has that come up in some of your facilities? And even it doesn't really matter so much your facilities, but like what do other facilities do specifically about isolation precautions? I'm sorry I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah. So with isolation precautions, you know, it, a lot of it is oftentimes that case by case, just like what you're describing. Some nursing facilities might be able to absolutely accommodate a private room um, mm -hmm. and where others may not be able to. So really it, having that support, uh, working through it as a team would be the best advice right now. Um, you know, again, if we're speaking specifically to coronavirus, um, you know, masking the patient and trying to isolate the patient into a private room with the door closed. Um, if you have an airborne isolation room, even better. Uh, but chances are the majority of those nursing homes do not have that capability. Right. Um, and then just other isolation precautions in general, say if you're um, talking about like a multi-drug resistant organism or another acute active infection, um, you can, you know, work as a team, refer back to the CDC guidelines for isolation precautions. It's something that we deal with daily with the nursing homes that we support. Um, I get mm -hmm. constant calls about routine things that patients need to go into precautions for, and we work through it, you know, because every facility is a little bit different. 
Um, but again, we follow those national guidelines and evidence-based practice to make sure we are keeping our residents safe and as well as the staff, providers, and visitors who come into the building. Right. I mean, oh, go ahead. I want to add, you know, one thing to that because as she's saying, like this team, right, and what we provide and one of the breakthroughs that we've really been able to see is that not only do we have that infection prevention control, you know, you have Megan, I call her my walking encyclopedia, right? At any given time, you're, you can give her a call. What does this look like? What do we need to do? But then additionally, um, it's kind of a new era to the SNF world and long-term care, but adopting an infectious disease provider to join the team. That has been amazing to watch within facilities because then it helps bounce off, uh, you know, help support those medical directors, right? So when they do see something that may be the coronavirus, this isn't their specialty. Um, you know, they have a wide range depth of knowledge within antibiotics and, and microorganisms and XYZ, right? The list can go on, but passing it off to the specialist, it not only takes a liability off, um, but you're going to be able to treat that patient before they're going back to the ED or trying to, you know, in the rural areas we serve, they don't have the capabilities out there, right? And not to mention, it's going to be an hour drive to go figure out maybe if you have the coronavirus or see right. what that might look like. So I think that that's been really beneficial is for individuals to adopt um, infectious disease providers from our team into their facilities and, and case manage that prior to them needing a higher level of care or right. in isolation. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I mean, there are many, I mean, depending on the size of the company and what, what type of business structure then, you know, then that particular nursing home has, there, there are many, you know, larger nursing home companies or mid-sized nursing home companies. You know, someone had, let's say, have 10, 15, 20, even 30 nursing, uh, nursing homes that work that are together where they have on their corporate team. You know, they have you know, people who are available to help for this. And but, you, but if that is not available, then getting an outsider who's who's uh, an expert in this obviously is something that would be a responsible thing to do. In addition, you kind of sort of touched on this. Uh, specifically in rural areas, um, I know we started talking about this before the show, but telemedicine is the is the way of the future. It doesn't mean that telemedicine is going to replace uh, traditional medicine. It's not going to replace traditional medicine, but it is going. It is already providing access to skilled uh, clinicians in places or times where otherwise they wouldn't have been available and. Many times we have a whole a whole episode on this, um, but there are times when at times when physicians usually either wouldn't want to be bothered or cannot be bothered out of the country. They're sleeping or even more important, they're on the golf course. And if they pick up the phone, the, the goal is, although, you know, the physicians care about their patients. But at the end of the day, when everyone else is waiting, it's like. Oh, and back to the green. So. So especially and especially now with some with an infectious disease where we're subjecting the provider to the, those risky conditions itself limits the first of all, it's a risk to the provider, but also limits the ability of the provider to uh, to provide that oversight. So uh, I'm thinking out loud as I'm speaking. Um, to what extent does an outside infectious disease consultant support? person in any capacity need to be physically present like if there's someone in a rural area and they're a standalone mom and pop nursing home and there are dozens of these all over the place and they cannot uh let's say they cannot they don't have anyone internally um uh -huh. and they want to hire let's say they want to hire an outside consultant or they have a sister facility that's you know somewhere else and somehow they want to 
remotely connect and have someone remotely manage this program? Is that at all doable? Is that what you guys do? Sorry. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. So, so I honestly didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, no, you, you nailed it. I mean, just for example, right? Our office is out of Phoenix. We help doctors across the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, someone's gonna jump in. There, we have a small, little bit of a small office. No worries. No worries. This is what, this is what live is all about. Invite right? them in. You can meet the team. Um, Sorry, we have meetings, we're busy, like I said, with coronavirus. Um, but I think what they're able to help impact um, infectious diseases is from that acute setting, right? Where are most of our ID doctors? They're in the acute setting in the urban areas. So they're not visiting the rural areas. So now they don't have access to it. Um, where do they go to get them? Back to the ED. So to answer your point about the telemedicine, so we are active in Colorado, Montana, and moving into New Mexico. We have licensures um, throughout you know, the rest of the United States that we're growing on. But in Colorado, our entire practice is virtual. Um, overseeing uh, critical access hospitals and skilled nursing and long-term care all through that telemedicine platform. And it's widely used. And now these people don't have to go to Denver. They don't have to travel in somewhere bigger and have a high cost um, trip with it. Wow. Wow. So, so this, wow. First of all, I didn't know there were people in all those states. I just thought there was like New York, Chicago, right? and California. <laughs> so, so <laughs> okay. Now I one time met someone from Montana, so there must be people there, but on a serious note, um, what type, so I'm curious to know how this works. So I'm familiar with a typical telemedicine model, but if you're providing, let's say like this, let's say there's a facility in Montana and they're flipping out about the coronavirus, just like everybody is rightfully so. And they're following the CDC guidelines and doing whatever they can, but they want the additional support that can be offered uh -huh. remotely. How do you go about actually doing that remotely? Um, is this is is this you doing conference calls? Are you actually viewing? Um, are you actually viewing residents um, in their, you know, in, in their in their rooms and things like that? Like how how are you actually doing? Yeah, so providing the care. So great question. So we actually built out our own platform on the market it was clunky. Um, we really wanted to make it uh, user friendly. That the fact as long as someone had Wi-Fi access and they had a camera, they could get access to our specialists. Um, wow. And, and wow. That, that was it. So um, we build out a whole platform. It is called Nod Specialists. Um, so really what we have is critical access. Um, the hospitals, they will have a little Chrome book. Uh-huh. Are you just fading in and out and a little bit? Attach okay. it. Um, to a little and they they will take it around and you'll have a nurse that will take the chrome okay i apologize for this from patient to patient and do their rounds up okay it looks it looks like you're kind of you're kind of back um i'm not sure if you can hear me but what I would just ask is that if you can just explain that again, I'll, I'll explain what I think I heard. Um, but basically, it seems like that as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection and you have some, even something as simple as a, as a Chromebook, um, then you yes. then you have the ability to apologize for the choppiness. Okay, so we do apologize for that. 
We're going to get Andy and Megan back in a moment. Um, just as they're working on their technical issues, let's just try them again and see if, if we're back. No, they are not back yet. Okay. So we will leave them. But basically, it seems like what they were saying was that although um, you know it's challenging for people in the rural areas to be able to gain access to that level of care, um, you know, sometimes it's challenging for them to be able to do that. Oh, it looks like we are kind of back. But they are able to help them out. Uh, able to help them out just, you know, with something as simple as a laptop and a Chromebook. But basically the point is that people in rural areas might be concerned that they don't have the access that they would like to have, um, you know, to the type of infectious disease oversight uh, you know, that would be right for them. Here we go. And All right, we're back. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Are you guys on a phone now? Yes. Okay. Well, it looks good. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we'll make this work. See, this is what like, nursing, <laughs> this nursing home life is like, right? You got to just kind of work exactly. with what you have. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, you got spotty Wi-Fi or whatever it is, you just keep on going. So you were saying that in the rural areas, all they would need to have is a Chromebook, really any laptop that, right, and that has a camera, and then you're able to uh, actually see symptoms. Like, tell me how complex does it get? Yeah. So really, I mean, a lot of it through infectious disease, and there's lots and lots of statistics supported through uh, telehealth that mm -hmm. this is successful for ID needing to. Labs, um, molecular uh, biology, and then also, you know, just seem to have a picture of the wound, so to speak. Um, there's really nothing that you need to have uh, boots on the ground. And then, of course, you know, if we need to get uh, different stats, then the nursing staff helps us. So there's, it, it makes it really convenient for ID purposes because you can mm -hmm. do a lot through uh, the other ways of means to really get to know how the patient is doing. Got it. I mean, I heard it explained to me once. I think it was on this podcast, actually, that through telemedicine, the the physician is the physician, but the nurse is the, you know, the not the eyes, but more the hands of the doctor on the patient. So that, you know, the nurse, and even in, you know, even if they were together in the same room, it might appear the same way. The nurse might be the one actually physically handling the patient. So with more complex telemedicine systems, you might have, um, you might have a nurse that's actually you know, putting certain equipment or a stethoscope or otoscope or whatever, uh, that's all I know, <laughs> uh, on the patient. You nailed it. Uh, but, but you're saying even, even without complicating it, you're saying uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different model, but you're saying let's keep it super simple. What's something that everybody has? I mean, can it work with a cell phone? Yep. Mm -hmm. We could be doing yeah. it right now. Wow. Wow. So how do I, am I, do I look healthy? <laughs> all, right. all right <laughs> you're coronavirus free <laughs> okay excellent i hope the same for everybody else so so really i appreciate both of you guys coming on here and really making this work um and even through some of some of the struggles here just before we wrap up this live broadcast and remember again that we're live on linkedin and on facebook for those who are watching um are there any final tips? Oh, actually, I wanted to point something else before I get to your final tips. Something I wanted to say before, and um, I actually, I don't know what triggered it, um, is that something that you said, Megan, is that when people are you know, stressed out 
and they're they're all uptight because they're seeing in the news because of all the family members that are reaching out and what are you doing you know to deal with the coronavirus and you're a little nursing home you guys don't know what's going on and and then you're actually concerned about your patients you're concerned about yourself you're not sure you know you start imagining things maybe i'm not really not feeling well so a very simple way of simple way of kind of minimizing and bringing down some of the emotions so you can focus on the actual problems is focusing on facts. So I, I'm trying to remember exactly which infection it was that was going around my facility. And I don't remember which one it was, but I remember sitting with the infection control nurse, the same one that made me rinse my hands actually. And <laughs> we, were trying, we, were, we were literally pulling out our policy and procedure book and we were going through it. And okay, this is, oh, and I remember what it was. I think it was scabies, but we, we were trying to, you know, and we knew that there was another facility just had it and they were in the news and it was all that emotional stuff. But the moment that we got down to business and we said, okay, there's a policy, there's a procedure. Do we need to report it? Yes, we do. We did. We told them what we're doing. We're following everything. It removes a lot of the anxiety. It removes a lot of the stress. A, because you're taking action and you're not focused on that. B, because you know you're doing the right thing. Um, like as has been mentioned here, um, I think this morning, um, that even even for a physician, anyone who's in in the healthcare um, sphere, we are actually providing care. There's always that fear that you have this regulatory compliance. I give an example, right? If you walk into Dunkin' Donuts and they burn your bagel, they're not taking away your license to make bagels, right? But if you if you're a CNA getting paid the same amount of money to provide care for grandma, you may die because you contracted coronavirus while providing that care. Or the opposite, if you mess up and you do something bad, yeah, you might lose your license and your, you know, your ability to move on in your career. So it, it's a serious thing. And that, that itself on a regular day is a stressful role. However, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're following what you're supposed to follow and you're asking questions and you're being open and you're working with facts and not with emotions and trying to limit the nursing home staff drama, which <laughs> exists in many places, then, you know, then that can make, that can kind of bring everything down. And of course, it all starts from the leadership on top. If you have a, you know, any nurse manage, manager level or a director of nurse administrator, or if you have a whole corporate team that comes down, I know, you know, some facilities do that. Every time there's a state survey, everyone comes down and it just makes it even worse. Some places they just say, you know, let me know at the end of the day how it was. And frankly, if you have a good leadership team in place, I believe that's how it should be. Because if they need your help, they'll ask you. But no one, you don't need to sit, you know, and babysit them. Anyway, not going to rant about that right now. But what I did start asking you is any final tips uh, for nursing home providers for those who are residing in a nursing home um, about the coronavirus before we let you guys go back to help assisting those facilities that are in your care. Final tip would be uh, changing, evolving situation every day, every week. So know your resources. Make sure you're educating yourself, your teams, your staff um, on those facts. There's so much out there in media right now. So just making sure to bring some of that fear down and working through the facts, exactly like you said. Have your plans in place and work those plans. And that will help reduce the stress to make sure your staff know that they are supported. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Megan, for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast, for agreeing last minute to come live over here on LinkedIn and on Facebook. 
Uh, we do hope to have this episode live on the nursing home podcast within the next couple of days, specifically because of what we're discussing. And, you know, people want this information. Uh, but I really appreciate you being a little bit flexible uh, with me today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Take care. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the nursing home podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.